3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's a Friday, and we're into our last day. And uh, for all you baby boomers out there, I'm going to make you feel a little old today. Hope that uh, you don't mind. I didn't mind, but I saw this, and I have to mention it. Uh, A very famous day today, 65 years ago. That's right, 65 years ago, and uh, out in... Uh, California, 160 acres, which would uh, were former orange groves. Now it would not have been built if uh, the environmentalists had been around, because they would have stopped it, saying that uh, they would have shamed the person involved, saying, "Look at all the orange trees he's killing." But uh, the bottom line uh, is, on July 17th, 1955. 17 million dollar theme park was built and it was uh christened disneyland uh walt disney it was his uh dream to have a theme park that was not only fun but educational and uh, i want you to know that that uh, it was a commercial success a huge huge success and uh, was very interesting uh, during the time because that's bigger than Manhattan in New York uh Disneyland is it was one of a kind now there was there were other amusement parks at that time that were theme related disney was not the first on that uh but uh, uh because there was like for instance in indiana down towards uh, evansville indiana there's santa claus uh, Indiana down there, which the theme park is all Christmas-related. And it um, it opened in the 40s. I remember as a kid being taken there several times, had a great time at Santa Claus, Indiana. But Walt Disney was born uh, fairly near my hometown of Hammond, Indiana in 1901. He was uh, born in Chicago, uh, the outskirts. He worked as a commercial artist. Then he set up a really small studio out in Los Angeles so they could produce animated cartoons. In 1928, he made history with his short film uh, Steamboat uh, Willie, which was, of course, uh, starring a brand new cartoon character by the name of Mickey Mouse. And Mickey Mouse was voiced by Walt Disney, and it was the first cartoon with Sound That is its claim to fame uh, In history Uh, The first animated cartoon With sound And uh, from there on Disney cartoons were in heavy demand The company was struggling Financially because Walt Disney was a perfectionist He demanded uh, High artistic uh, uh, You know Goals For his uh, movies and um, it took a long time to do what he wanted to do. For instance, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And by the way, if you've never seen the early Walt Disney movies where every frame were, were hand painted, uh, they are incredible. They are absolutely beautiful. They are works of art. And those cells from those movies, if you can get a hold of them. Uh, sell for thousands of dollars for, you know, three or four sales of the movie. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs came out in 1938. They took three years to complete. It was a great commercial success. Uh, Snow White was followed by other feature-length classics for children. Let me run through them for you because it's important you hear all this. Pinocchio in 1940. Dumbo in 1941. Bambi in 1942. Fantasia, which coordinated animated segments with famous classical music pieces, was an artistic and uh, technical achievement, came out in 1940. Song of the South, 1946. That's when Disney combined live actors with animated figures. And then beginning with Treasure Island in 1950, the company added live action movies to its repertoire. Uh, I remember very well when I was a kid, being taken to the movies uh, by my, my mom and dad to go see Swiss Family Robinson. Still uh, a fun movie for me to sit down and watch with my grandchildren now. And they love it as well. Then I, the scene where the pirates are coming up the side of the hill, do you remember that? And they, they cut and dropped the logs rolling down on them. Great, great action scene. Uh, then they, uh, of course, Disney did something that... He saw the future in television, and he started The Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights. And so some great shows were, were made, like uh, Zorro. How about Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier? Um, every kid, when I was a kid, wanted to have a coon skin cap to walk around in. Uh, all of those were real popular. The Mickey Mouse Club came out not too much long after that. And you had uh, Annette Funicello and other uh, Mouseketeers uh, that uh, we used to watch every day uh, after we got home from school. And we got, um, you know, daily or, or weekly shows where you'd see uh, Spin and Marty and a lot of other weekly uh, uh, shows. So think about it. The land was bought in the farming community of Anaheim. It's about 25 miles uh, southeast of Los Angeles. Construction began in 54. Now think about this. It, they built all of Disneyland in just a little over a year. You look at how long it takes for us to build anything now because of all of the... Um, The requirements by the governments and studies and everything else it has to do. They broke ground in 1954 and opened in 1955. Unbelievable that they were able to do that. Uh, Some of the attractions. uh, The castle, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Snow White's Adventure, Space Station X-1. The Jungle Cruise was at the very beginning of Disneyland, and it's going to be a major motion picture here in the very near future, starring The Rock uh, and Stagecoach was another one, drew countless kids and their parents, special events that they had uh, there, and the continual building of new state-of-the-art attractions encouraged them to visit again. In '65, work began on an even larger Disney theme park. That resort was near Orlando, uh, Florida, and it took a long time for them to get all the land that they wanted. Uh, took them, um, what, five years, I guess. And that's when Epic Center, Disney MGM Studios, and Animal Kingdom uh, all added to uh, Walt Disney World, and it remains Florida's premier tourist attraction. Then you go to 83 Disneyland Tokyo opened in Japan. 92 Disneyland Paris or Euro Disney opened uh, in uh, in Europe. Then you've got Disneyland in Hong Kong in uh, September 2005. I, I 2005. I wonder what they're going to do to that now that the Chinese have taken over. I'm sure something will be done to to it. So anyway, that's just a little history for you about what Walt Disney begat and his son and what, uh, you know, the the mouse continues to do. Uh, But uh, if if Walt Disney came back, I'm sure that he would have some questions for the people at Disney Studios and at Disneyland and and, and at Walt Disney World uh, for some of the things that uh, they have done in the past. You wonder what, you know, if it was started today, what Spin and Marty would have been about. You wonder what Zorro would have been about and and things of that nature. So anyway, enough on that. Let's just talk about the positive they came across and all the happiness and excitement that kids have even today uh, when they go to Disneyland or uh, disney world now you might think that disney world would be the place to go and you'd be right more people go to disney world than disneyland but disneyland still draws every year 18 million visitors that's incredible 18 million uh visitors that means still got to stand in line at disneyland all right 16 after six that's your Your history right now, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention in history as well uh, that happened uh, today that you might want to remember that that have gone down. Back in 1967, Jimi Hendrix dropped out as the opening act for what rock and roll group? I'll tell you when we come back here on the Dave Elswick Show at 17 after 6 on a Friday on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's get back to a few things that happened in history real quickly that, I, that I've i got here for you. I told you in 1967, Jimi Hendrix and his experience were o- an opening act for a rock and roll group that was very, very popular at the, t- at the time, but he dropped out as the opening act. Now, he only, he only opened for them, if I'm not mistaken, three times, and then... He understood it wasn't going to work, and they understood <laughs> uh, that it was not going to work either, and that was uh, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix used to be the opening act for uh, the Monkees, and I've, I've talked about that before, and, um, you know, there's... Sometimes opening acts just don't fit in with the act that they're opening for. For instance, Kiss, even though they're a rock and roll group, they're not heavy metal. And their opening act for many, uh, many weeks and then finally dropped was Metallica. And the reason that they dropped Metallica was uh, very simple. And that was because uh, the fans were calling uh, for Hendrix to come back and do... You know, uh, uh, more more music, standing ovations for them, calling them back out on stage. And uh, the monkeys didn't like that. They wanted to get on stage and they wanted to be the, or pardon me, not the uh, not the monkeys, but uh, uh, Kiss. All right. In 1996, I, it, it's kind of surprising to me it's been this long. Flight 800 exploded over Long Island. That was a huge, uh, huge uh, news story in, in its day. And then when you look back in the 21st century, of course, 21st century, we're, we're 20 years deep into it already. Almost a quarter of a way through it. We will be, in, of course, five years. But 2014, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 was shot down over the Ukraine-Russia border. All right. Enough about history for you. we got a good show for you today. Going to get underway uh, with special guests starting at 635. Mark Lauder will be with us. Uh, We're going to talk to him about the shakeup in the Trump campaign. Uh, I think we should talk to him about yesterday's big White House press conference, the presser that they had there, uh, dealing uh, about uh, cutting regulations. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, uh, with Mark uh, about a couple of other things. We uh, could talk about uh, A.G. Barr's uh, speech about China and get his take on that as well. On top of that, uh, at 7 o'clock, uh, joining me uh, is Senate elect uh, Dan Sullivan from Jonesboro, and we'll be uh, talking to him, uh, uh, State Senator uh, Dan Sullivan. Uh, has some information about uh, some information about a law that uh, is going to be p- pushed, and he wants to talk about it and I want to of course talk to him about it uh, but it will be interesting to see uh, what he has to say about uh, uh, this whole thing about the governor also and I think the governor has made a tactical mistake uh, by the way uh, of requiring, starting, I believe, on Monday, uh, requiring everybody to wear a face mask if they're out and about here in the state of Arkansas. That's going to be challenged in the courts, and I don't know if that's going to stand uh, in the courts. Uh, From uh, reading what the governor has said, uh, he says, uh, you know, health care workers and nurses and citizens had impressed upon him that people should be required uh, to wear, uh, you know, face masks. We'll see if uh, the courts stand up with him on uh, that. So we'll have to see what that's all about. As far as the law that uh, state senator-elect Dan Sullivan is going to talk about, you're going to have to join me at 7 o'clock for that because uh, I've been sworn to not— basically say anything until he comes on and so um, i will keep my word on that uh, embargoed until uh, he comes on at 705 at seven 35 uh, we'll be hearing uh, from uh, robert steinbach and chris corbett they come on each friday chris corbett it will be interesting to see what he has to say about the face mask uh, mask because uh, I'm, I'm looking uh, here uh, when I posted that the, the, that the governor on my Facebook page, Dave Ellswick Show, that the governor had passed or, or had signed that, for better or worse, state governor executive order, uh, that uh, you have a situation where, uh, you know, Chris says, please send me a client. Anyone that gets a ticket or can't access a public place, private businesses can do what they deem necessary under the law with some exceptions. So Chris Corbett feels the same way, to be honest, that I do. I don't think that, you know, taking away people's rights uh, and uh, using the heavy hand of government to say you must do something is the right thing to do? I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that supposedly is highly susceptible. I'm 67. I got type two diabetes, got some heart disease because I had open heart surgery back uh, five years, almost five years ago now, and uh, you know it, it's 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 interesting that uh, everybody thinks that. Everybody else must change their lifestyle so that I can go out. I don't believe that. I just stay home, all right? I understand uh, that there's a chance that if I get out in the open, I have a chance of uh, contracting COVID-19. So typically, I don't go anywhere where there's any big crowds, Uh, and I haven't done that for a long time. I don't like getting in big crowds now, you know? You get, like me, 67 years old, you get irritated with people acting fools. And <laughs> and that's just kind of uh, the way that uh, that I am now. So I, I don't do it. Uh, I'll go along with people once in a while to go see the Razorbacks play. But to be honest, I I like being there for the excitement, the crowd getting all excited and everything. But I can sit at home, you know, on – the sidelines with the television camera and uh, watch the game that way. And I don't have to have beer spilled on me. Uh, I don't have to pay for really high priced hamburgers or hot dogs. And uh, I can and, and I can enjoy myself that way. And I've done that for years. Uh, much rather watch it on television than watch it in person. Now, I do like to go to a baseball game because baseball is a game That you can uh, kind of uh, get involved with and uh, you look out and you see how the fielders are, are aligning themselves and things of that nature. Love doing that, but still watching it on TV has a lot to be said about it. You don't have to fight the crowds when you're leaving uh, the stadium. All right, so Mark Lauder will join us at uh, 635. We're going to talk to him about Trump, and we're going to talk to him about the upcoming campaign. That's coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show, but first let's get to the news. That's next here on 101.1 FM. I like that Jones guy. I think he does a good traffic report. Hey, Mark Lauder is coming up. He's the uh, Director of Strategic Communications for the Trump campaign. And we've got a couple of things right off the bat that I want to talk to him about. And we'll get to him quickly because he's got about 15 minutes that he can talk. So um, I want to talk about the shakeup in the Trump campaign. It's, as far as I'm concerned, it's not a big deal. Um, Trump shakes up his campaign all the time uh, and did so when he was running back in 2016. But I do want to talk to him about uh, how he sees and the RNC might be seeing uh, how the election uh, coming up in November might be impacted. We talked a little bit about this on, Mon- or on uh, Monday, take that back, Thursday, yesterday, uh, with J.R. and with um, uh, Seth Mays. When we were talking about absentee ballots, and I think it was Seth that mentioned that uh, set, uh, absentee ballots typically make up two or three percent of, of the vote. And this time uh, they may make up as high as 14 percent of the vote. And they don't start counting absentee ballots until the day of the election, uh, you know, after the polls close. They don't count those early. And then just add in the numbers that doesn't doesn't happen that way i'm trying I'm going to try to get John Thurston on next week, the Secretary of State and uh, you know and talk about uh, all of the the stuff that's uh, uh, going on as we get ready for November because there's going to be some changes no doubt uh, that are going to happen I mean look uh, i I think you probably if you heard Seth talk, you heard that. Everybody who goes to vote in person is going to be given a plastic stylus. You know, you're used to going and if you got the machines, you touch the machines and you make your uh, your picks, Uh, you'll cast your votes. Uh, This time you won't touch the machines. Uh, You're going to use that plastic stylus uh, to to do uh, the voting. So uh, keep that. Uh, in mind okay you want to keep that uh in 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 mind so again uh we're waiting on Mark Lauder to give us a call he's and, here oh he is on the line okay so good hey mark how you doing bro i'm doing well good morning dave it's good to have you on i appreciate you joining us uh, first of all let's talk about the shake up uh in the president's uh, campaign uh, i don't know how long you were you were waiting and if you heard me leading into you I don't think that, that I don't think that's a, a, a huge story. In fact, I think Pascal being put back in uh, on digital is probably a, a good move by the president. What are you thinking?
1: No, I absolutely agree. And and this is what the president does. He's putting the right people with the right experience at the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, Brad built a tremendous operation uh, for the, with the campaign. And now it's time to, to put him where he it needs to be, which is digital and data. And focus solely on that, has a political, a very experienced political hand in Bill Stepien, who can... Lead the overall organization and the strategy, and uh, and the rest of us are going to do what we do best, and that's going to uh, reelect the president.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's here's the big deal uh, about all of, of November. Uh, we were just—I was just talking yesterday with some people from the ARGOP, and uh, they were talking about November, and they said that typically absentee ballots make up about two to three percent of uh, the cast vote this year they're expecting perhaps as many as 14 percent being absentee that's a huge surge and i'm i'm figuring that arkansas is not uh, the outliner on this and this is going to happen in a lot of states how is that going to change uh, the way you run a campaign getting ready for november because people are going to be voting early Well, and that's
1: one of the reasons why we called for uh, an additional presidential debate and moving the debates up earlier, because so many people might be voting early. They may not even see Joe Biden and President Trump on the same stage before they cast their ballot. And I get it. That's what Democrats want. They want Uh Joe Biden to be hiding so much. They do not want people to see him on a stage with the president. And they prefer that to happen so we'll, you know we're prepared and we know that absentee ballot as long as it's done safely through the normal processes there's a difference between absentee balloting and
0: mail-in balloting um but we're ready for all for all of that okay uh the uh, joe biden's campaign you know i keep reading the people talking about how they're doing so well on the campaign they're they're not doing any mistakes uh missteps I say the policy decisions that they're putting out are missteps. I mean, I understand we got COVID-19, and maybe they think people aren't paying attention, but he's talking about raising taxes everywhere. I mean, everywhere raising taxes on the American people, and the American people are not going to want that.
1: No, you're exactly right. I mean, everything he's doing is designed to kill jobs and to take us back to the time of slow growth and the new normal under barack obama and joe biden he said he's going to raise taxes he's going to the average american is going to see their taxes go up at least twelve hundred dollars a year they're also families are going to see their tax credit for children cut in half and then Mm -hmm. add on top of this this crazy green new deal that he and bernie sanders and aoc are going to do That's going to cost 10 million energy jobs. And by the way, it's also going to cost the average American hundreds of dollars more per month to heat and cool your home. Now, think about that. You're getting your taxes raised by more than $1,000. Parents are getting their tax credit for kids cut in half. And they're going to raise your utility bills by a couple hundred dollars a month. I mean, that's what a Joe Biden world looks like.
0: And on top of that, you know, Joe Biden says China's not to be worried about. And uh, when it comes to, you know, green uh, energy and things of that nature, as far as solar panels and all the rest, they're made in China. We don't want you don't do we want to do that? We've already seen what what happens when you have to put all your eggs in one basket uh, and you're and you're having your PPE stuff all made in China and how that works out. How about if your energy is totally dependent upon China? Not a good idea.
1: You know, you're exactly right. And look, this is just part and parcel to what Joe Biden has done for the entire 50 years of his career. You know, he has done the exact wrong thing for American workers. He supported NAFTA and voted for it, which shipped jobs overseas. He was a cheerleader for TPP, which the labor unions hated because it was going to ship more manufacturing jobs overseas. He supported China in the WTO. He's done so many things that have shipped our jobs to China. Then he complains about our jobs going to China says we should bring them home the only thing joe biden has ever brought back from china is a billion and a half dollars for his son
0: yeah, I I go along with you, Mark. Mark, you've been in this business a long, long time. You've you've been immersed in in what's going on. I'm looking at what the president is doing. I'm excited. Uh, yesterday that he talked about again. He's going to call, cut regulations again, and uh, for broadband and things of that nature. You know, if you're wanting your child to be able to do schooling at home instead of having to go to the to the government school, um, you know, having cheap. And efficient broadband is really, really important, and that's important to people that are in rural areas in the United States. and And the president understands that.
1: No, you're absolutely right. He also understands that this is that government regulations, burdensome government regulations, hurt jobs. They reduce productivity. The average American, I believe, has to spend about thirty one hundred dollars uh, because of government regulation. Because of what the president has done, deregulating prescription drug prices, are you're saving about 10% on your prescription drugs. This is the real-world impacts of what the president has done. And Joe Biden has said he's bringing it all back. It's the exact opposite. So you have to ask yourself, you know, do you want higher prices? Do you want lower wages? Do you want fewer jobs? I mean, we've already seen Joe Biden call police the enemy. Do you want someone to be on the other end of the line if you have to call 911 to protect your family?
0: Yeah, my listeners know what 9 is going to be like if uh, we get there. I keep playing a little uh, comedy piece, but there's a lot of truth to it as well. Mark, I know I only had your 15 minutes. I'm, I'm basically at that point. I'll let you go. You've got more interviews to do. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Mark Lauder here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great day, Mark. Thank you. You too, Dave. All right, Mark Lauder here on the Day of which I've known him for a long, long time. All right, let's take a break. We're going to get a call from Robert Steinbach. Talk to him. Maybe he knows something about what uh, State Senator-elect Dan Sullivan might be uh, broaching when we get to uh, his time with us between uh, 7.05 and 7.30. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some movement of some uh, laws Uh, that evidently are being looked at, probably hate crime law, I'm sure, as well as uh, we want to talk about the governor uh, saying yesterday, now that starting next week, you're going to have to wear a face uh, covering if you're out in public. We're going to get to that. All of that's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. It's always a mistake. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) To take a big drink of coffee before you come back on the air. <coughs> That's smart. Excuse me.
3: What's going on? Hello? Hello? you just on?
0: Thank you, Robert. You saved my butt, buddy. Pulled my bacon out of the fire right now.
3: I'm trying to fill in for
0: the dead <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. The gaggy <laughs> Dave Ellswick show. Anyway, uh, you asked me a br- uh, during the break about what was going on with the National Museum of African American History. Well, let me bring you up. We talked about it yesterday uh, with J.R. Davis and uh, uh, Seth Mays. Let me read what they had uh, posted. Quote, yeah. Since white people in America hold most of the political, institutional, and economic power, they receive advantages that non-white groups do not. These benefits and advantages of varying degrees are known as white privilege. For many white people, this can be hard to hear, understand, or accept, but it is true. Uh, If you are white in America, you have benefited from the color of your skin. Now, that's what they had Uh, on um, a poster board as you walked in the museum. And uh, it set off a firestorm, as you can probably uh, figure.
3: Wait, wait, Dave, let me see if I understand. The fact that they put up a racist... That's right, I said it! Uh A racist poster uh, set off a firestorm? Oh, that's surprising, right?
0: It is now.
3: Exactly, exactly. Because the left has gone so far over the edge, they have literally defined racism in a way that it can only go one direction. One direction. How is that possible? Because the last time I checked, racism meant you discriminated against somebody based on their race. Whatever that race may be. Well, you see, Dave, Dave you see, you're ignorant there, you see, you see, because what, it, it can't be that a minority can discriminate against a majority because they have no power. Well, first of all, they can still discriminate whether or not they can exercise that discrimination. Second of all, they have power. They just have varying power, maybe overall less power, but the power is up and down depending on the context in which you measure it, and they certainly exercise power in different contexts. How about walking into a public museum and being told that you are no good because of the color of your skin? Is that not power?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm uh, just—they pulled that down, by the way, but— they they have continued i mean their mia culpa was like one of those really weak team mia culpas that you hear <clears throat> okay we heard the public went crazy they said they shouldn't be using taxpayers money for this and since we work we get paid by taxpayers um, money we're going to uh, make some changes here to try to make you happy and uh, oh, here's what for response yeah
3: how about this for a response uh, we put up a racist poster, and we decided to take it down because we were wrong. How
0: yes. about that for a response? Yeah, they said that what they posted did not lead to productive uh, dialogue.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: It does, by the way.
3: Perhaps I should say racism never does. Racism yeah. never does.
0: Yeah. So what they have now is like whiteness and white Whiteness—that this amazes me. Just being white now is—you get problems. Whiteness and white radicalized identity refer to the way that white people, their customs, culture, and beliefs operate. Excuse me, as the standard by which other groups are compared. Now, remember, if you followed this story any bit at all, you know that the things that they named in cultural problems with whiteness were individuality, uh, the the nuclear family, things of that nature. Good, things.
3: good. What else you got?
0: We, we yeah. So
3: far, check, check. Yeah,
0: the good stuff. I mean, we're yeah, talking about the checklist. good stuff that everybody, everybody, I don't care if you're white, black, Asian or whatever. And, by the way, I had on uh, Tim Lim yesterday. You know Tim, and Tim's a great yes. thinker. He had yeah. – uh, he he uh, he offered that the black-white argument stands up kind of okay, and he quoted Thomas Sowell. And, and Thomas Sowell, but if you want to blow it all apart, bring Asians into the matter. Mm. And it was very interesting well, uh, what he had to say, because you know he's a first-generation uh, uh, American. Me too, by the way. Me too. Yeah, you and- too.
3: And the first-generation Americans, uh, the first-generation Asian Americans uh, outperform uh,
0: many other groups. Uh, that's just Most fact. groups. The grou- I the, think that's right. The, the two groups that outperform white folks are Asians and Jewish people. Well, there you go. you, had, there you go. you
3: had one yesterday, and you got the other today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? But, really?
3: But here's the crazy thing. You mean, Dave, did you invite us on because he's Asian? No. Because I'm Jewish?
0: You I'm, know that's I'm not Jewish. true.
3: Yeah, of course not. That's the point. That's the point, Dave. But the left ha- ha- now wants you, you know, it's. I dare say it, it, you have to wear a marker as to your racial identity to be in an approved racial identity. I thought that's called racism.
0: Well, that's what I always thought. And if it's not racism, at least it is bigotry, which to me is just as bad as racism. You know, as Ron far as that goes.
3: You're ignorant, because runners with this power... Fr- okay, you know what? I- I- I've turned off, because all the vomit of nonsense that's coming at my face needs a face shield. I can't <laughs> listen to that anymore, okay? I know yeah. what racism is. It's the same as discrimination. It's the same as bigotry. They're all the same! The yeah, right don't and don't they go bring. In any direction.
0: Don't bring that on to Rob. He's got his PPE on right now, so you know he can deflect all of that. Hey, listen. I'm in uh, the
3: house, and I'm I'm covered in Tyvek.
0: <laughs> we got Senator-elect, uh, State Senator-elect uh, Dan Sullivan coming up. Uh, do you know what he's got on, on his mind to talk about today? I know that you know Dan really yeah. well. What is uh, it?
3: Dan, Dan is one of the, uh, the, the great uh, elected officials in the state. I mean that sincerely. Of course, you and I and, and Chris uh, helped uh, uh, him get elected. We're not take, trying to take credit. We're just trying to show our support. Uh, what do you want to talk about is the fact that the legislature of the three branches of government is the most democratic, not democratic as in party, democratic as in related to the people, and they have been cut out. So far, largely, not entirely, but largely uh, by the governor's office when it comes to what we're doing with controlling uh, COVID, you know, with the mandating the masks and this kind of thing. And remember, I'm the guy. Who's more extreme in terms of safety issues than many, but still, I think it needs to be going far more through the um, through the legislature than the governor's office has been doing so far. Then any, just to be clear, I don't want to lay this solely at the feet of the governor. I want to lay this entirely at the executive. Right? You know, we have the executive, we have the legislature, and we have the court system. Those are our three branches of government, and the legislature has not been given enough. Safety Say so, And what's going on here? And those are the people that live in your district that you can call up or knock on their door and say, hey, hey, Dan, hey, whomever, what's going down? And that's what he wants to talk about
0: today. Now, we'll talk about that because the governor just made his decision yesterday that he's definitely going to make everybody wear a mask as of next week. And we'll definitely talk about that. Chris Corbett has already posted on my Facebook Uh, that uh, he wants somebody to bring a a charge against the government. He wants to go against the government in court. All right, we'll talk about all that. That's all coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert, stick around. We'll have you on with Dan. We'll be ready to go with Chris Corbett as we return with the Dave Ellswick Show. Six minutes after seven on a Friday, we have uh, all kinds of guests on the line right now to join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I told you our uh, main guest that's going to be coming up here this half hour is uh, State Senator-elect Dan Sullivan. And, Dan, welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have you Thank back you. on the air with us.
4: Great. Glad to be back on. A lot of good stuff, exciting stuff going on. Uh, the the
0: opportunity to hear There's a lot of stuff happening right now. I mean, uh, we got a lot of things to talk about today, but I want to talk about something that maybe a lot of people don't take into consideration a lot of times, and that is, uh, uh, you know, separation, the separation of powers, doctrine uh that works in state governments as well as in the federal government there's three distinct branches of government there's the executive that would be the president or on the state level the governor then you have your legislative which is your your uh, senate and your house uh, in the in the state or in the uh the, our national congress and then you have uh, the judicial which would be the uh, the federal supreme court or our state Supreme Court. So you have three distinct branches, all uh, having power, all having a way that they can use their power to make sure that the other branches don't try to usurp their power. But that's not been the case so much here in the state of Arkansas over the last few years. The gov- uh, the executive branch uh, has has gotten in a lot more power, and so has the judicial branch uh, as far as that's concerned. And, and, Dan, you'd like to see that change. Is that correct?
4: You're, you're spot on. And, you know, the, we all learned in, in school, or hopefully we all learned in school, about checks and balances. That's right. That's, that's what that means, that there are co-equal branches of government. Um, and each of us has an important responsibility Uh, to keep the other branch in check. And in this case, and you're exactly right, in the last uh, few years or decades maybe, the legislative branch is losing the authority that it was originally intended to have. And in many cases, we have just given that up to the executive branch because the local legislator uh, doesn't speak up. And you were exactly right a few minutes ago when you said we live in our community. And people actually know us. We sit in church with them. We go to the stores with them. Uh, we wear our masks with them. Uh, you know, we do all of those things right locally. So when, when the executive branch or the, the judicial branch fail to recognize the legislative branch, it's a huge disservice to the people. Uh, a, few months, a few weeks ago, when I had businesses contact me. Uh, I'm in northeast Arkansas. And they said, Dan, we're going out of business, that we have to have some help because the executive branch, the rules that are putting that coming down, favor big business over small business. And they said, we need your help. So I got engaged uh, and we I wrote the governor a letter. Well, actually I wrote Dr. Smith a letter. It's on my Facebook page. It's about a six page letter. And it outlines the fact that Dr. Smith failed to go through the legislative practice uh, process in the rules that they promulgated and effectively made law without the legislative branch. Uh, and we, we hired an attorney, uh, Greg Payne, and Greg's on the line with us. I'm going to bring Greg in in just a minute to give us a you know, real quick overview of that letter. But the letter essentially said that Dr. Smith had violated the Administrative Procedures Act by not going through the legislature. So, Greg, could you just give us a real quick uh, thumbnail sketch of what the letter that you wrote says? And, again, I appreciate what you wrote, but you'll do a better job explaining that than I. Greg's an attorney at Northwest Arkansas. So, Greg, go ahead.
2: Yeah, good morning, Dan. Uh, uh, good morning, Dave. I've not been on your show before, so I appreciate you giving me some small amount of time.
0: Well, it's sounding like that you're going to be on the show uh, more more often since you're a big <laughs> uh, supporter of the Constitution.
2: Well, I'm, I'm a supporter of the Constitution the legislative process, and, um, you know, as, as attorneys, uh, every time we observe some uh, misfunction or dysfunction of law, it just kind of uh, makes the hair on the back of our neck stand up such that we should express our opinions, and that's why I appreciate that, that, that Dan is, is taking the reins on this thing and actually uh, asked me asked me my opinion and, and listened to it and, and ran with it. I, I really appreciate what he what he's doing in that regard.
0: All right. So, what did this letter say?
2: Um, well, it's essentially um, what, what what struck me was the governor's executive orders. Of course, are authorized by by statute by the uh, by the Arkansas Emergency Services Act. <laughs> However, um, what he did in his executive orders um, is delegate a bunch of rulemaking authority to the to the Secretary of Health, Dr. Smith. Um, but they don't, but they're, and, he, and he's done that. He's promulgated a bunch of uh, what they call directives. Uh, they're not calling them rules. And then what the governor does is allow the uh, Dr. Smith to promulgate these directives, and then he makes reference to them in his, in his executive orders. And by referencing them as executive orders, they're taking the position that now they, these, these directives that have been promulgated by the director of health without any legislative oversight now have force of law. Well, that that just struck me as wrong, and, and of course, as I, as I reviewed the statutes and reading both the Arkansas Emergency Services Act and the uh, the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, they, I, I mean, you can't do that without uh, at least um, setting those, uh, providing those to the executive the executive committee for review. Now, what, what they have essentially done is um, use their emergency authority, which is legit. Um, but now the governor, um, by statute, uh, after the first 60-day period expired, um, by statute, he extended that for an additional 45-day period, which is also uh, conformed to the statute. But what he did in, in, in June, June 18th, was he terminated the original order and, and declared an, a, an emergency anew. Well, that's that, there's no statutory provision for that. And the, you know, the, the, the executive branch does not have any inherent, uh, legislative authority other than the, what that's, other than what's delegated to them by the legislature. Mm-hmm. So, so the legislature has put a cap on that ability in, 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 in cases of emergency. Uh, the governors uh, and, and Dr. Smith has, have just stepped over that limit. Um, I think as they recognize when, when, in, 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 in instead of just extending the, original emergency again, they terminated the first one and declared a second one. Well, the only purpose of that is to bypass the legislative process, at, at, at which point um, all legislators should um, take umbrage at that and react. So Dan has reacted, um, and, he, and he's asked, asked me to, to draft this letter, uh, which essentially out, outlines my um, support for the legislative process and, and sets forth the... Uh, what I believe are the limitations on the on the authority of the executive branch as far as uh, rulemaking, um, and what they need to do to comply and to show where they're not in compliance. And essentially, uh, I don't know if I make this a call to arms, but to, such that the, uh, the legislative branch needs to needs to uh, react. And, and if they don't, if they don't, they've gone from delegating legislative authority to essentially abdicating their position as legislators. And and exercise their inherent authority to rein in uh, the executive branch because they are, as Dan suggested, co-equal branches of government.
0: Now, Dan, th- Arkansas and and, and Greg, Arkansas is not the only state that is fighting over this. Uh, in Wisconsin, they've had this uh, this fight in in Portland uh, or in Oregon. Uh, they've had this fight as well. In Oregon, the governor lost. And in uh, in Wisconsin, the governor lost. Uh, it, do you believe that this is going to take uh, the legislature taking uh, the uh, the governor to court, our Supreme Court, to get this taken care of?
4: Well, potentially. But let me also add, it wasn't just me on this letter. We had 11 different legislators on this, five okay. Senate and six House members. So it wasn't uh, Dan Sullivan going rogue. This was, this was uh, a good, significant portion of the legislature making this decision. And Dave, what's really uh, can be, is upsetting to all of us is the, Dr. Smith never replied. It's been, old, it's been one week today that we submitted this letter to him. There is not so much as a thank you for submitting it. We got it. Uh, we disagree. Thank you very much. Uh, Let's sit down and talk. Highly unusual. You know, I've been in the, and I wrote a letter yesterday and submitted it to Dr. Smith and our new director of of the Department of Health, uh, just um, expressing my concern that in the six years I've been in the legislature, it's never happened that I've asked a question or written or contacted a department head or a secretary that I haven't heard back within you know, within 24 hours, or almost immediately, is always the norm. Uh, Gary Stubblefield, Senator Stubblefield, said that in his 10 years, it's never happened to him. And the people that um, signed this letter represent 750 thousand people. Doctor Smith has gone on the podium multiple times and said, "We are all in this together. Let's yep. all work together." And to ignore the people of the state. The, uh, their state representatives, as you were discussing, uh, just ought to scare every citizen in the state of Arkansas. Agree or disagree. We have a representative form of government, the consent of the governed, uh, and here we have the executive branch, uh, and the Department of Health is bypassing us completely and ignoring us. Um, Mm. will it end in a lawsuit we are we are working on that that certainly is an option and we have several others we're working on but filing a lawsuit is certainly one of them
0: so greg let me ask this question of you Uh, i'm going to assume that just because what has happened because of covid19 didn't uh suddenly strike in in your bosom a a belief in uh you know joint powers and in in the, the government of, uh, of Arkansas. Um, how long have you, have you felt this way and have you felt that this needed to be addressed long before we got to COVID-19?
2: Well, um, this is sort of the, um, the, t- the tipping point. Um, you know, I'm always, um, you know, I, there, you know, the governor, uh, the, the government state governments made up course, or elected officials, and you know, I, I always defer to them uh, to do the right thing. That's just kind of the point of our, our representative government. But when, um, when you see uh, uh, this kind of usurpation of authority um, and uh, the, the, the balances tip in favor, of the, uh, like you say, the executive branch or the judicial branch, um, it comes time to, to react. Um, you know, someone like me, who's not, uh, not a government agent, I'm a pr- private attorney. Um all I can do is sit back and observe. but you know periodically you know I deal with statutes and regulations on a daily basis, and you know I see the shortcomings in some of our some of our you know legislative functions or regulatory functions and not not so often executive functions, but I deal with the judicial branch. Um, so that's it's, it's a constant concern to me um, so, and, and it's also uh, you know an uh, uh, ongoing concern that that the 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 uh, legislative uh, branch, um, which actually makes these lo- lo- laws uh, functions properly, because you know that's we, we need to. I mean, my function, my job is to make sure that the people are governed by these laws, know what they are, they're not vague, you know, not vague and unenforceable, and um, so you know, it, it's a, of an everyday, everyday concern to me. Um, this is just like I said, a tipping point that uh, led me to uh, to uh, just, I would say conspire with Dan to react to this thing, but. Um, but, but it obviously needs to react
0: to. I got gotcha. you. All right, we've got to take a break. I've uh, got to pay some bills. And uh, to be honest, every uh, every uh, lawyer and legislature should feel the way both of you do because we're talking about freedom here, and uh, that's what this country is supposed to always be about and to make sure that the people who are the, con- you know, the governor giving the consent Uh, to our government to do what they're doing. Let's take a break. we got more to talk about. Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing, take care of your roof uh, problems. They don't call themselves the roof leak detectives for nothing. Uh, They have been around for nearly two decades they can walk on your roof they can find where the problem is you got a leak in your house maybe you've seen some discoloration on your ceiling or on a wall they can find out where that leak is coming from and it's probably not coming from right over that discoloration it may you know you may have some discoloration in a back bedroom and the leak is on the other side of the house uh leaks are really weird and strange animals and uh you know, the folks at uh, uh, PI Roofing know how to track them down and how to fix them. They also know how to do all of this and during COVID-19 and make sure that social distancing and all the other things that need to be put into place are done so that nobody's health is put at risk. What you need to do is give them a call. Call them at uh, 707-3551. 707-3551 or if you want to just visit with them online you can do that at PIroofing.com it's pi roofing. I've used it, uh, used their company many times and I am very happy with every time they've come out and uh, you know helped me out and shown me the problems that I have and then uh, solved those problems, I think you will be too, 707-707 Thirty-five 51. Let's take a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. The uh, governor, uh, whom I've thought has done a fairly decent job during COVID-19, I think overstepped his bounds yesterday. And uh, there's going to be legal cases come up, I believe. Uh, the, uh, the governor yesterday said that beginning Monday uh, – Residents will have to wear protect, uh, protective coverings in all indoor environments where social distancing, protective coverings be masks, uh, coverings in all indoor environments where social distancing is not possible and they are exposed to people who aren't part of their household. It requires masks to be worn outdoors under the same circumstances. Uh, Senator elect uh, Sullivan, you're, you're your take on this?
4: Well, I agree with you on this, Dave. Whether you want to wear your mask or not, um, you know. First of all, I think it's an overreach and outside of the governor's authority. And people should understand there's a difference between the power that the executive branch has and the authority that the executive branch has. The executive branch has the the power to enforce this with the police, and the governor invoked. Uh, his authority over the police and the power over the police in enforcing these rules. And to me, we have, uh, if one reads all the exceptions, and I don't have them in front of me right now, but if if one reads all the exceptions that the governor put out there, it's hard to see what the changes are. Um, You know, I talked with a doctor yesterday and asked the doctor about, you know, how does one prove they have a um, a medical exemption to the mask rule without exposing their private protected health information. They're not sure how that will happen. Uh, how is this going to affect our local police when they are called out to enforce mask laws over other crimes? What's that going to do to impact our, the citizenry and our police doing that job? Um you know, there's all the Again, all the exceptions that are out there uh, and how they're going to be enforced is just undefined. And I think we've actually created a bigger problem uh, in having this rule with the exceptions than we had before. And I think, finally, Senator uh, Ballinger had a great uh, video out there uh, on, on uh, what his take on this is, that when we give up essential liberties, we rarely get them back. And I think in this case, we have given up an essential liberty. Uh, I'd love to hear Robert's take on this. He's been listening quietly, and I'm always interested in his take. I'm sure he is uh, waiting with bated breath to jump in there. Well, Robert, what do you I'm,
0: think? I'm down to about, you,
3: Dan. Uh, Let me
0: jump in, Robert, and just tell you, we've got 90 seconds. So, panificate for 90 seconds.
4: Well,
3: uh, two things. One is the notion that I was quiet for all this time may have concerned, Dan, that I was suffocating in a mask. But the, the point here that will continue after the break is not whether one should wear a mask, but how we as citizens interact with a government. Is this a dictatorship or a democracy? That's the ultimate question that Dan uh, and um, Greg are asking appropriately here. We need to have democratic Involvement in making these decisions.
0: All right. We're going to take this up when we come back. Rush is up next, though. Dan, can you stay around for about uh, a little bit longer? Sure. Okay, we're going to keep uh, State uh, Senator-elect Dan Sullivan here. Robert Steinbach uh, will be with us as well. And listening and on mute is Chris Corbett because he knew that if he didn't mute himself, he would have been yelling out during that last half hour. So he gets to yell out when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, let's hear what Rush Limbaugh has for us on the Dave Ellswick Show. On 101.1, the answer we want you to bring up. We continue the Dave Ellswick Show for a Friday edition. We've got a lot of people on the line. Uh, We've got uh, uh, State Senator-elect Dan Sullivan from Jonesboro on with us, and we've been talking to him uh, quite a bit about uh, a letter that a uh, lawyer, uh, that's Greg, who's on the line too, from the Story Law Firm up in uh, uh, Fayetteville, sent to... uh, the head of our our health department about hey how you know you guys got to think through what you're doing and that the legislature I, I'm going to I'm paraphrasing here guys if I'm if I'm being too loose with that you tell me uh, you know that you can't be doing what you're doing without the legislature getting involved in all of this and then uh, we're also talking about the governor's mandate yesterday that everybody wear a mask. Uh, We're talking about that. Also with us, Robert Steinbach, who is a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law and also a lawyer. able to practice here in Arkansas is uh, joined us, and his opinions are his and his alone, and not necessarily those of the the school or the university. And Chris Corbett, who's a lawyer up in uh, in Conway, pardon me, and uh, specializes in uh, engineering law, has joined us as well but a very big supporter of freedom uh, is on the Dave Ellswick Show as well. So we got a lot of people involved in this discussion, and there, there's a lot more involved in this discussion that we can't have them all on at the same time, to be honest with you. Uh, we heard Dan talk about, uh, evidently, Bob Ballinger has already posted something on a video uh, as well, and I expect that from him as, as well. So, Greg Payne, we thank you for joining us. Dan, thank you. Robert and Chris, thank you guys for being here today. Uh, these are important subjects that we're talking about today, Dan. And uh, uh, how do you find your – now, you're still a member of the House. You'll be a member of the Senate starting in uh, next year early. Uh, how are you finding other members of the House and Senate uh, responding to these questions that are, are now popping up? All right, Dan, are you, yeah, Dan, you still there? I'm sorry. I had it on. Yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> okay. You had it on mute, yeah, didn't yeah. you? All right. Go yeah, ahead.
4: Yeah. yeah, the legislature is divided a little bit about the governor's uh, agreement, agreeing with the governor on the mask issue. You know, we kind of reflect, I think, the general population and concern. But I think the legislature is overwhelmingly uh, concerned that the governor has. Uh, discounted and marginalized the legislature. You know, the governor could have called a special session uh, a month ago, a month and a half ago, and sought input from the legislature. If these scenarios work out, what will we do? What what do we plan to do in these things? How do we go about this? So the governor has a remedy, a simple remedy, uh, to go through the legislative council to promulgate the rules and go through the legislative process. It's not difficult, but the fact that the governor and the Department of Health have, uh, well, actually just the Department of Health director, has chosen not to respond to the legislature at all, I think has really upset a lot of of, uh, senators and House members also. It's just kind of unheard of that a director or a secretary doesn't even answer a senator or a House member. Uh, so I think there's a lot, a lot of people really concerned about that,
0: Greg. How does how let me kind of work through all of the lawyers that are here, Greg? How does this reflect to you when, as the as the, uh, our state senator elect uh, mentioned, that uh, you got somebody that's in the hierarchy and they're not responding uh, to a, a legislator?
2: Well, um, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but the governor, in fact, did call a special session uh, at the end of March uh, for the limited purpose of uh, asking for additional funds for his rainy day fund. So, I mean, there, there's, um, I mean, they, they were there, they were in session. They, they gave him some more money. Also, uh, if you, if you listen to the governor's statement yesterday, he was asked a question about um, his rulemaking authorities uh, sort of, I guess that arose from, from Dan's letter. And he said he's he's only acting under the authority that the legislature has given him. Mm. Well, that sort of implies that the legislator's on board for what he's doing. And if that's the case, what, what fear is there for calling a special session and getting getting us that sense of the legislature that they're on board? Now, the problem is the problem with that is if he calls a special session, um, the, le- the, the legislature by concurrent resolution can terminate uh, the uh, state of disaster emergency. That's the fear. Um, but uh, there, I mean, if he says he's acting with the authority of the legislature, there shouldn't be any 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 pause to call the special session and just get get the sense of what the where the legislature is at right now. But uh, that's not going to happen, and, and that's that's the I mean that is the frustration, and, and apparently that was frustration of the legislature. And as you mentioned, several other states, specifically Wisconsin, uh, which I cited in a letter, in the Supreme Court of Wisconsin sided with the uh, with the legislative branch.
0: All right. Now, we've got two other lawyers on online. You heard from Robert Steinbach. Chris Corbett has been you know, hold, keeping his powder dry. He's, he's ready to join in here. Uh, before I get to you, Chris, let me say that we have Bob Ballinger's video up on my Facebook page now. Uh, The Dave Ellswick Show, facebook.com slash the Dave Ellswick Show, and you can see it there, as well as the letter that we've been talking from uh, Greg Payne and the uh, uh, state senator-elect Dan Sullivan. All of that now is posted for everybody to see, to read, and to peruse. All right, you're up, Chris. Your thoughts?
5: Oh, thank you, Dave. I, I'm, I'm outraged, Dave. I'm, I'm stunned. Um, every licensed attorney in the state of Arkansas that took the oath to defend the Constitution should file lawsuits on Monday morning. Every one of them. If they don't, then they're violating their oath as a licensed attorney to defend the Constitution. And um, here's a little nugget for everybody out there on the face masks there's an exemption to wearing a face mask. It's it's an exemption for anybody consuming food or drink. Here's a piece of legal advice: uh, just carry around a water bottle with you, and then you've got a good case to say you're exempt because you're consuming drink. There you go. And then, yeah, this is the this is the stupidest uh, executive order that I've ever seen. It is I'm outraged by it. It's vague. It's unconstitutional. It's unenforceable. Oh, arbitrary enforcement. This allows bureau hacks to go out there and charge you with a crime, a misdemeanor. We're talking about a crime, and they can charge you, Dave, every day, five hundred dollars a day. So it's it's a, a cruel and unusual punishment. It's um, an outrageous potential a fine. It violates his it's discriminatory on age. Persons than younger than ten years old can't get a ticket. If you're eighteen or under, you only get a warning. So it's outrageous. I mean it's simply outrageous. It's it's unconstitutional on its face, is how I see it, Dave. All
0: right. I knew that you would uh, have some strong opinions about this uh uh Chris and uh, Dan, I mean what what is your what what is your end uh push on this? What what do you want to see happen here?
4: I uh, I appreciate Greg's comment there. We are working on a concurrent resolution right now. I should have a copy of that later today, uh, and we're going to try to uh, first get the language correct. and Greg will work with me on that, uh, and then we'll circulate it among legislative boards to signature. We can't run it without a special session, in you know, in a special session, but we can um, uh, have it written and be prepared for when a special session comes. Secondly, I'm working with a number of uh, senators and House members who are chairs of committees. I mean, it's my opinion, and I think that of other legislators, that when a department head refuses and ignores the legislature, there has to be a price to pay for that. And I think, I hope we can get a number of uh, uh, Senate and House committee chairs, to call the Department of Health before every committee that we have in the, in the legislature. They ought to have to talk to city, county, local about the impact on businesses. They ought to have to talk to the state agencies committee uh, about the impact this is having uh, with our state agencies. They ought to have to talk to the uh, public health committee about the fact they bypassed them. They ought to have to talk to the education committee about the impact that they're having in education and schools and those things and bypassing the legislature. We have not even talked about that, Dave, about the impact it's having on schools. And yep. here we have the Department of Health just making up these rules every day. Uh, and we have a, all of a sudden we're going to open up on, the I think, the 13th, and, and by edict now we move it back two weeks. I've talked to several superintendents, an untold number of teachers and parents, who are upset and calling us? yet we uh, choose to govern by the um, you know, by edict. You know, I, I don't know if you caught it, but a, I think a week or two ago, the governor uh, in his press conference talked about uh, the Gilmore Group. The Gilmore Group is a lobbying firm that uh, also does surveys on behalf of the governor. And they asked the Gilmore Group to do some surveys and find out what the people think. Who knows more about what the people think than their local legislators? And I don't know that the Gilmore group called any legislator to find out what's going on in our district. So I think the abuses and the overreach and the uh, pushing us the legislature to decide, as Chris said, every, not only every lawyer but every citizen ought to be concerned about this and be asking questions. So, again, what am I going to do? we got the concurrent resolution. We have the, I'm talking to uh, committee chairs to call in the Department of Health to question them. uh, And we are considering and working towards eventually filing a lawsuit if we can't get some remedy. All we want is recognition from the executive branch that we're co-equal branches. Return our calls. Call us in and talk to us, even if it's not a special session. You know, call us in and let's visit and talk about what's going on instead of getting an edict. Again, Dr. Smith and the Department of Health continually say we are working together. It's appearing that that's not the case. We're not working together. It's uh, telling us just do what you're told.
0: All right, Dan, is there any possibility that you'll be showing up at the uh, Arkansas GOP state convention tomorrow? To bring this absolutely. up to them?
4: Uh, I don't know if we'll have a chance. I don't think it's on the agenda, but I'll be there at talking with whoever wants to talk about this because I think it's it's critically important uh, that we um, recognize the co-equal branches of government. That's more important to me than any issue, uh, whether it's face masks or education, um, that we have that uh, checks and balances in our government. So now, I'll be there, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, we hope you'll join me. I'll be there from 11 till noon broadcasting live in uh, Benton. Uh, so be tuned in to the Dave Ellswick show tomorrow at 11 a.m. Dan, I'll let you get away and and do your thing. And, and Greg, I want to thank you for joining us from uh, the Story Law Firm up there in Fayetteville. We appreciate you giving us time today as well. Robert and Chris, you guys hang in there. We'll be back with you in just a moment. And uh, hopefully we'll get Dan on again tomorrow because I want to talk to him about hate crime legislation as well. More coming your way in a moment. Final break here this hour on the Dave Ellswick Show you got six minutes uh, to take us to the top of the hour, 8 o'clock, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, that's the live segment. Uh, we will be recording another segment uh, that will play at 6 o'clock this evening, and Chris and Robert are going to be with me uh, during uh, that segment. Uh, you can listen to that live, if you like, by joining us on Facebook.com slash The Dave Ellswick Show, or just Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Elizabeth has been chastising me lately that there is no the. It is just Dave Ellswick show. And uh, you can listen to it live then, or you can listen to the podcast at, after about 10 o'clock this morning, or you can tune in at 6 o'clock on your way home from work and listen to it at that time. Uh, while we got this uh, five minutes remaining now, let's start off with you, Robert, give you two and a half minutes uh, to sum up what you thought of the discussion we just had over the last hour.
3: And even before I that, Dave, I will highlight that you told me during the break uh, not to chew into Chris's time to talk because, <laughs> you know, I'm a very delicate flower, and it really takes a lot to prompt me to talk. That's so, right. Uh, right. Uh, in any event. Back to reality for a moment, here's the issue. We need government to be democratic. We need government to be responsible to the people. And so when any branch of government takes too big a a hand in controlling the people, that is an anti-democratic effort. Now let's be clear, the legislature signed this first authorization to the governor. And when that thing was being written, Even back then, I said, hmm, that seems kind of broadly written, doesn't it? So I'm sure some of our good Republican friends signed off on that bill, and that was a mistake. But that's not an excuse to therefore go forward with that mistake. We need to have uh, more interaction between the executive branch and the legislative branch before we impose criminal liability on our citizens. And remember, unlike you and maybe Chris, uh, uh, I am more cautious when it comes to going out and wearing masks and all this kind of thing. So I'm in favor more generally of people being more cautious in what they're doing. But we've got to do it legally, and we've got to balance individual autonomy to make those decisions as well as government imposition. And when government is imposing, it needs to be done broadly a combination of the legislature and the executive, which is how we make law. All
0: right, all right. So we've got how uh, uh, Robert feels. Let's get how Chris feels. You got two minutes, Chris. Go.
5: Two minutes, uh, Dave. the The Constitution has been mortally wounded. It is limping. It's hobbling down the road. We've got to help it out. I'm not sure. I'm not real sure if this isn't handled. Very quickly, this is not going to do some permanent damage. Um, let's talk about uh, mandating face masks. Why not mandate gloves? Uh, gloves would help uh, control the spread. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, where do you draw the line, Dave? Um, it, it's uh, it's outrageous. This rulemaking. I, I, I like Greg's analysis on it. Greg Payne's from Fayetteville up there. that, that you know, if they want to, if, if the governor wants to. Allow the executive branch to do some rulemaking. Um, I've dealt with that in in the uh, in the court system. Those rules could go outside the bounds of the law. Well, not only have the there's there potential for these rules to go outside the bounds of the law. The executive order has gone outside the, the bounds of the law. Um, you're supposed to. Uh, Give their uh, give the public a time to comment on rulemaking. Um, I'm dealing with that in some uh, crazy legislation out of D.C. to tax the making of concrete blocks. Right now, you've got to have uh, a way for the public to have input into laws so It's the legislative branch. Um, and, um, uh, and what's going on now is outrageous. Uh, now, let me let me take a, a moment and talk about the other side.
0: All right, if thirty Hutchinson seconds. Is smart.
5: Hurston was smart. Why did not he file suit and ask for a declaratory judgment, saying that the, his executive order is valid? Uh-huh. Let's, let's get this thing in the court system quickly, very quickly. So,
0: that makes sense. I mean, that really yeah. does make sense. All right, so I gave everybody a reason to listen to me tomorrow at 11 a.m. at the uh, – Arkansas GOP convention, because Dan Sullivan's going to be there, and I'm sure there'll be other elected officials as well who want to chime in pro or con on this and find out what's going on with the uh, uh, the state uh, uh, GOP. So all that's coming your way tomorrow at 11 a.m. Uh, you can be listening at 6 p.m. tonight for the rest of this show, or you can go to Facebook right now to Dave Ellswick Show watch, and listen to it live or listen to the podcast when you get a chance at 101.1 FM, uh, theanswer.com. I'm out of here for right now live. It's the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM. All right, we continue on with the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, this is a, a continuation from our morning show. If you're listening on uh, 101.1 FM right now, you're hearing a recorded segment of the Dave Ellswick Show, which we recorded earlier today. Uh, I hope that you listened to the, uh, the morning edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. We had uh, state... Uh, Senator elect Dan Sullivan on along with uh, a, a lawyer friend of his from the story law firm up in uh, in Fayetteville and they sent a letter to the Health Department, the head of the Health Department, questioning some of the things that they 've been doing and doing them without the uh, uh, auspices of the legislative uh, branch of our government, uh, and all branches of the government should be uh, reflective of what 's going on in our state. I mean every one of them have responsibilities, and those responsibilities need to be exercised and the legislature has kind of been left out in the cold when it comes uh, to the covid nineteen and how the state has re- responded to it and we're going to talk about that some more here during this hour and it's a it's a really important issue and uh, i'll start off with chris corbett who is a lawyer out of Conway. You've heard Chris many a time here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He joins us every Friday with Robert Steinbach. Uh, uh, Robert is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law and a practicing attorney now in uh, Arkansas. And his opinions are his and his alone, and uh, the opinions of Chris are his and his alone as well. Uh, But uh, Robert should not be taken to be of any reflection of the Bowen School of Law or UALR. With that all said, let's get with this, guys. And Chris... In, uh, in the uh, first uh, live uh, segment of the Dave Ellswick Show, you made a very impassioned plead about how you believe that the Arkansas Constitution was wounded by what the governor is doing, like with the face mask ruling that he made, a, a general, hey, this is the way it's going to be, it's my way, kind of, or the highway, and the legislature wasn't even brought into this. So, And as you said, during that time, he could have given this over for instance, to the Supreme Court if they would wanted to, and said, well, is this legal, what I'm trying to do? And let them rule on it right at the very beginning, but he didn't do that. So he's really kind of taken it upon himself that I am the be-all, end-all on this. Is that not right?
5: Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Um, if you just step back and look at what the governor's done, he has... Impinged on—he's obliterated uh, the freedom, our Ameri- just the, the basic notion that we have the freedom to do a lot of things in America. Right? We can't break the law, but uh, or suffer—we have to suffer the consequences from that day. But he's gone out and, and mandated that we wear something on our face with some. You know, some exemptions here there. Let's just take that general notion, that general order, and extend it out. You know, there's a lot of health safety. I'm going to go on a limb here, but there's a lot of sexual activities that are dangerous to public health. Can he mandate wearing condoms? <laughs> Where are we yeah. going with this? I,
0: no, I agree uh, with I mean, what you're saying here.
5: Is that is that not crazy? I mean, I, but, but, you know, I digress a little bit there. But but if you back up and you just look at the powers, so there's obvious uh separation of powers issue here um, and, and how do you attack this we attack it in the judicial branch um, could we could we have um, well, let me put it in another context do we have all the lawyers in their suits and ties at a hundred and hundred and five degrees march on the Capitol or march on the governor's office and start picketing with some signs no I don't think that's gonna do any good we've got to get into the courthouse and and uh, file an overwhelming number of lawsuits that general, Leslie, attorney general Leslie Rutledge is going to have to answer, because the governor has at its disposal the largest law firm in the state. It's called the attorney general's office. The attorney general's office um, has um, sub departments at every um, department in the government. They've got she's got some at the highway department. She's got some at the Department of Health and. Yeah, that brings me to another thing. Where were the attorneys in this when this executive order was Odo was a drafted? Where where did they did, was there any litigators in the bunch? Are they bunch of are they just a bunch of paper pushers? Have they mm-hmm. had did they give any thought to how this might be litigated in the courtroom against a grandma that um can't wear a mask right now because she's already um uh, got some um breathing problems. Um I just see so many, so many things, so many holes in the order. And I've got the order up in front of me. We can walk down through it. Um, it says basically that there's that the Secretary of Health shall issue a public health directive. All right, so he's kicked it to the Department of Health. Right, um, requiring every person in Arkansas to wear a covering over their mouth and nose in all indoor environments. Wow. Okay, I'm just stunned. But he exempts people under 10 years of age. Can they not spread the virus? You're claiming this is um, for public safety. Can a nine year old not spread the virus? I just it's just outrageous to me. Um, That's just a that's the first exemption. Um, uh, People with medical conditions or disabilities that prevents wearing a face covering. Okay, do we need a stamp? Do they need to wear a yellow star? um on a coat saying that they don't have to um wear a face mask i'm doing this this gets me outraged dave when when i think about what are we doing here and and um how do we stop this
0: yeah i mean do you have to have a paper from your doctor saying that you don't have to wear a face mask
5: there you go that now yeah show me your papers and remember remember dave when If someone's going to come take my guns, this is an analogy. If someone's going to come take my guns because the executive order, a governor says, okay, you to have to give up all your handguns. It's going to be my neighbor. It's going to be my fellow citizen that's doing it. Um, that's what people don't think about. How are they going to enforce it? It's going to be a 19, 18 or 19-year-old with an M16 in the National Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the, the governor's got the power to... To um, order the National Guard out—it's—it's um, it's dangerous, and I'm stunned that that uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson has done this. I'm, and this is not a political thing. This is a constitutional thing. It's a, you know, whether you're Democrat, Libertarian, Republican, um, everybody should be outraged on this. But let, let me let me say this: if you're smart. Why not wear a mask, right? I mean, it's your freedom. If you think you can contract disease, like you were saying earlier, Dave, then don't go out in public. Have, yeah. your, have your groceries delivered. Do the click and pick from Kroger. Um, protect yourself. This thing is going to end. The problem is this thing is going to end, Dave. It's going to be over at a certain point, um, and the world's going to be different. But let's preserve our constitutional rights in the meantime. And – but,
0: wound this thing. Yeah, what you're saying is important because it sets a precedent. And with my saying that, I'm going to turn it over to Robert now. And that, prece- that precedent is dangerous, is it not, Robert? It is Dave.
3: The whole foundation of this country is to prefer, to prevent government tyranny, and the way governments become tyrannical is they grab power from the people. The clearest protection against power grabs from the people is the legislative branch, because they don't enforce rules, they just write rules. And so they're less apt to be encroaching on individuals' freedoms. It doesn't mean they're not willing to do it. It just means they're less willing to do it. The executive branch is the branch that enforces law. So institutionally, they're more inclined to be searching for additional authority. That's why we pass laws with both branches, the executive In the legislative. So when the executive branch starts to effectively create law by issuing these declarations, well, that undermines the whole lawmaking process. It's not that they can't do it ever. It's not that they don't do it ever. It's that when it comes to our freedoms, we must be highly skeptical of when they do it. And now we're in the middle of a pandemic. In the beginning, when the governor's office issued these declarations, we said, well, this is an emergency. Well, time goes on, and part of the analysis of an emergency is how time is is temporal. How quickly something needs to be done. And if this becomes a new normal, at least for some period of time, that is the underlying pandemic, well, then we can have the intersection and interaction of the legislature and the executive. And we're not seeing that right now. And That's what I'd like to see.
0: Well, let me just ask one last question, this is kind of stir it up just a little bit. I, I, I've been known to do that once in a while. How unlucky, yeah. yeah it, seems, <laughs> it seems like to me that uh, if this COVID-19 is so dangerous that we're willing to tell people you have to live your life this way or that way, then why not do it the legal way and let's declare martial law?
3: Well, Dave, answer me this. What is, it's a spectrum, not a bright line. And by that, I mean, when do we cross that line of martial law?
0: That's what I'm how saying. Much,
3: indeed. How much executive action is required before we are effectively in martial law? I don't Correct. think we're there yet. No. But I think that's the question. And I think better safe than sorry if you have the exec, excuse me, the legislature involved. Well, then it's not martial law, right? Because the legislature is not part of martial law. It's an executive takeover when you have martial law.
0: Well, when a lot of things have happened in the history, not of just this country, but a lot of other countries. Uh, the way things started, it started off with good intentions, but it went awfully wrong. Did it not, Chris?
5: Oh, man, it, you're...
0: Yeah, you know what?
5: The Constitution and these laws need to be viewed in a in a historical um, view. You can't just take one little deal and look at it in a vacuum. Well, mm-hmm. Why do we have the Fourth Amendment? Why do we have the Fourth Amendment? Because It's because code officers were authorized by the king to come in and inspect your house. If you weren't paying your taxes, then the officers of the king could come in. And inspect your house with no warrant with no probable cause with nobody signing a a, a warrant um, these things matter and when you look at it with historical uh view and why we have the constitution, what the governor's done is he's thrown a grenade into the into the into the into the realm and the boundaries of a of the constitution he's just it's wounded right now, and we 've got to... Man, I, 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 at twelve oh one, I want to file a lawsuit. Twelve oh one a.m. on Monday morning, I want to hit. I want to hit. Click, click, file.
0: And, I got gotcha. you. Uh,
5: I may have to sue my, I may have to sue myself.
0: Right?
5: <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make myself the plaintiff and then make myself the defendant as a member of the public.
0: All right. Let's get let's get a break in, guys, and we're going to come back. I want to when we come back, I want to bring in uh, the AG's office into all of this, because isn't it her responsibility to stand up for the people of Arkansas and say this is not right? We'll talk about it when we continue here on the Dave Ellswick show. We continue another segment of the Dave Ellswick show here at one o one point one f m the answer and i got to tell you what there's been all kinds of discussion today uh, about the arkansas constitution uh what You know, what powers do the governor have? What powers does the state legislator have? Legislature. Uh, What powers does the uh, state Supreme Court have? Uh, They all have co-equal powers, uh, checks and balances. It's all stuff you should have learned in civics when you're in high school. But if you didn't, you're getting a, a refresher course uh, today uh, on the Dave Ellswick show. And I want to bring up a question for you guys right now, and it deals with the attorney general's office. Is the attorney general's office and right now all of the constitutional offices in Arkansas are ceded uh, uh, to the Republican Party. All of the people who uh, run those offices are of the Republican Party. With that in mind, though, they all have specific responsibilities. Does the attorney general not have a, a, a some kind of a, a, a responsibility to say something about what the governor is doing, whether they think what he's doing is an overstep or is just a... Um, bottom line, uh, no problem. Doesn't she, shouldn't she be doing something like that? I'll, I'll start with you, Robert. What do you think?
3: I think it's a good question. You know, certainly uh, the attorney general's office has a responsibility when they're called on to defend the law. Yes. Um, but I, it's an interesting question whether they have an obligation to come out when something is happening. Now, of course, they can. They're empowered to. They're uh, constitutionally elected officials. But whether they need to isn't. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, although I, I liked Chris's point earlier in the show uh, when he said that attorneys have an oath, sci- uh, swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. Uh, and so uh, maybe they have some sort of broad obligation to speak out against the violations thereof. Uh, but I don't. I don't know the answer to your question fully. I'd have to think more on
0: it. You know, I mean, what do you think, Chris? Should the, if the attorney general thinks that what the governor is doing, uh, yep. if you know, I would think that you would talk to him privately at first to her. Uh, no. But if their answer does not satisfy you, should you cross swords in public with them?
5: Well, he, so here's my take on this, Dave. Going back to a, a year after I was licensed. My first fight was with the Attorney General of Arkansas. And Which was from McDaniels? what I understand, Yeah. Okay. Yes. No, this was back in 04, 05. Um, All right. It was, um, I believe it was Dustin McDaniel. And um, so what happens is the Attorney General's client is the governor. The Correct. Attorney General represents the executive branch. She has a duty to go out and defend this law. Her client has passed a law and she's got to go out and defend it. Now, she's got to counsel her client and say, uh, Mr. Governor, this executive order you passed has some problems. Um, it, it's, it's got age discrimination against it. Only 18, anybody under 18 only gets a warning. But if you're, uh, 18 and over, you get a fine of $500 per day. Um, that, that's wrong. Well, let's face right there. Now, now, given there are some laws that apply to uh, people younger than eighteen, but this is all bound in the context of safety um, so as far as the attorney general representing the public I've got a consumer protection division and she's a you know she's a a, a public attorney general where she'll represent uh, she'll sue private businesses because a majority of uh, private citizens have been defrauded by, like, say, a used car dealer, she can shut down a used car dealer because he's using some um, predatory practices. I've seen some of those lawsuits. Uh, but as far as her coming in and representing the public to sue the governor, that's not going to happen because her client is the governor. She represents the governor. She's got to defend what he does. Now, what she could do is go, uh, Mr. Governor, what she's done is unconstitutional. If you don't withdraw it. Then I'm going to quit. I'm going to resign. Um, that was a discussion that, that Rob and I are having um, a couple of days ago. Said you, she's got a duty to defend the Constitution, and if her client has violated the Constitution, then in my um, perspective, just from a first glance at it, was not enough. Not a lot of research. She's got a duty to stand up and say. Um, Mr. Governor, I think your order has violated the Constitution, and you need to not do that. You don't need to be violating the Constitution. It would be my take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not going to represent us, members of the
3: public. She's
5: yeah, because her the client
0: U. is the governor.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's my. my she's an independently elected official. She doesn't resign she She wasn't hired by the Governor. she can come out and say, my job is to, to to defend laws that are legally enacted, and if they ain't I ain't doing it
5: man, that's a good point rob very good point you're right she's individually she's an, an individual elected that's right um I gotta do some more research on that Dave. It's a fantastic question okay. um, could she could she come out against her client? She might have the power to do that
0: all right. Well, if he's breaking, if she thinks that he's breaking, you know, the Arkansas law, I would think that she has to. I would think that the the Supreme Court would have to do the same thing, although they'll say, well, somebody's got to ask us first. Somebody with (laughs) standing. It can't be that Dave Ellsworth guy. He doesn't have standing with this court. You know what I'm saying? Oh,
5: that's not the standing. Yeah, standing is a tough argument. I've battled that. Is there been some harm? Is it ripe? Is, it, is the controversy ripe for litigation? Um,
0: well, this the, hey, look, standing every every citizen should have standing with the court on this law because it affects them.
5: I agree. I agree, um, and that's where I was talking about. You know, maybe she'd come out and file a declaratory judgment um, in, the, in the judicial branch, saying, "Hey, well, this, that, this
0: that order was a, is is lawful." That's a great statement because. Seriously, I, mean, I think yeah. you're right. The governor should have done that, and he would have had he would either either not done it, or he would have headed off a lot of the stuff that he's running into right now.
5: Right. Absolutely. It, it's a it's an interesting. And I hate to take the other side's position, but I'm like, okay, if I'm an attorney in the AG's office, or I'm the chief of staff over there at the governor's office, and he says, hey, um, I, I want to issue an executive order that everybody wear face masks. Uh-huh. What do I need to do? How do I do it?
0: Uh-huh. Well, we'll talk about it more. We've got to get a break in. Let's get a break in. We've got the news coming up, and then we'll continue. We've got another half hour yet to discuss this issue, and I want to get into hate crime legislation yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach is with us as well as Chris Corbett. Stay tuned. More coming your way here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. It's been an awesome day on the Dave Ellswick Show. These are the days that I live for uh, when I do radio because we're talking serious, serious topics that you, I believe, are thinking about and are talking about maybe over the lunch table or uh, the kitchen table uh, for dinner or whatever. You're talking about your freedoms, and it's good that people consider those things. Uh, as far as that's con- uh, concerned, now we got a we got a text uh, from uh, Senate Elect uh, Dan Sullivan and Robert. It was sent to you. Uh, what did the uh, state senator or the Senate Elect say to you?
3: Uh, he said that the governor's office called. They apologized for not letting no- him know that they were working on a response to him, and they're going to have. A response to him soon, which is a good thing. Obviously, it demonstrates also, by the way, that folks listen to the Dave Ellswick show, and that's a good thing as well. How else uh, are the people of Arkansas going to be educated if they're not listening to Dave Ellswick?
0: Well, I I won't take all of that uh, responsibility, but I I will say that, yeah, I think uh, if the, the TV stations were smart, they'd listen to the show every day and they'd know what their news should be leading with that evening. But the They're bottom right. l- the bottom line goes. And Chris, uh, uh, this is important. The governor knows. Yes. I believe that he stepped in it.
5: Yep, absolutely.
0: You know, um, he's, he's he's overstepped his bounds.
5: Yeah, is he going to issue everybody uh, masks? The, gov- the government has a license requirement, uh, a driver's license requirement, and they issue driver's licenses. Uh-huh. So can I go walk into the DMV and get me um, a mask for every day of
0: the week? I got to tell you, it's one, you it know, was so, one of the statements made on my Facebook. Somebody says, When's the, when am I going to get my government mask sent to me?
3: Oh, really? Right, yeah. That's yeah. There's a broader point about the mask, which is the paper masks are not terribly effective. It's the N95 masks that are the effective ones. And I've been looking online. I can't find them.
0: No, they're they're they're, they're, they're being protected for health care workers.
3: How how about my health (laughs) care? And and if if you're mandating a mask, then don't make it fake, right? Meaning we have all of this fake uh, security going on, right? We had a lot of fake security after 9-11 where people were lining up right. outside of buildings before they could come in uh, so they could be patted down. And that was that was fake security because then you put everybody outside the building at risk. That's not real security. Uh, so uh, if we're going to have real security, yeah. uh, why are we not getting N95 masks made available to us? I'll pay for it. I'm happy to pay for it, but I can't find oh, it. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
5: You to, might call. Hey, maybe you got to call.
0: You might have to call the premier of China to get one.
5: Yeah. yeah. Well, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna raise <laughs> taxes <laughs> on us, right? They're gonna, raise, they're gonna raise taxes on us to provide the math.
0: Yeah. No kidding. You, it, know,
5: and, um, you had a great point with Dan. The legislature controls the purse strings, right? Uh, they control the spending power. The legislature ought to have the ability to jerk those executive department heads in there and cut their funding. Like, hold the funding up. Say, look, you know what? You're not going to respond to us. You don't get the money.
0: Well, here's the the crazy stuff about this, Chris. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but a few weeks ago, there were some meetings, some governmental meetings, and uh, some of the heads of the departments were supposed to show up, and they didn't even show up for the meetings for the senators and the the House members. They didn't show up. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. They didn't come in and answer any questions. Do you guys realize how wrong
3: that is? This is where I start to wonder about legislators in general, state, federal, and everything, right? Because we know that they have the power of the purse. They fund the agencies. Now, it's delayed, particularly in Arkansas, because the, the fiscal session is every other year and the legislative session is, is every other year. But the fact is, if the legislature is not getting what they need to conduct oversight from any particular department, they should zero out that funding for the following year. Saying, well, that's rather draconian, Rob. You know, how are they going to zero that out? You know, it's very important work. Yada, yada, yada. Guess what? You only got to do it once. It's only gotta happen once. But Yeah, you set precedent. That's right. And the legislature, again, this is not only the Arkansas legislature. This is every state and the federal government. They are generally reticent because well, you know, they're gonna get some calls from it comes to We need this public service of such and such and so and so. And we also need the um, the agencies to be responsible to the democratically elected legislature and if they're not then cut off their funding and guess what then if they comply and you're outside of the session the governor can call a special session to then refund them but you know to give them funding but what we see often is oh we're going to hold it up for a week and then the chairman of the committee sends it through and the funding goes through you don't think that the agencies know that you don't think they see that happen every single time? We need real accountability, and we need legislators to hold these agencies accountable in a real way.
0: All right, I got. Right. Let me. I want to quote uh, Bob Ballinger, State Senator Bob Ballinger. He's quoted by Channel 7 News. Uh, Bob Ballinger said Hutchinson has been developing a statewide mandate and has not spoken about it. With legislators. Now, this is before the governor made his uh, uh, statement yesterday. Quote, I am highly offended that the governor has not called a special session, has not sought direction from the whole legislature who are elected, Ballinger said. I've got 90,000 people I represent, and their voice is not being heard. Ballinger said a mask mandate would be, quote, a Huge overstep, unquote, by the state government. So uh, there's there's where you handle it. it. I'm just telling you, he's, there you got he it.
5: Is, yeah, he's on it, Dave. He's on it, absolutely.
0: Well, well we've got we've got his uh, we've got his uh, video that he uh, he made and put on his website. We've got it posted now on the Dave Ellswick Show uh, Facebook page, and you can watch it. But yeah, I'm I'm with you uh chris he's right on with with this this yeah. this is this is putting the governor at odds with his own party what do you think yeah, about that robert
3: I think it's more a function of the different branches of government. That is the different role of the executive versus the legislature. And I'm always concerned about overreach by the executive, as, as we have been talking about for the last two hours or so. But yes. the flip side is the issue that I just mentioned. Uh, Dan has done a wonderful job of writing this letter. And the next step is for the legislature to step up when agencies aren't doing what they're supposed to do and zero out their funding. We need to say, you know, this is, this is Arkansas. This is not New York i lived in New York long enough, thank you very much. I don't live there anymore. This is Arkansas, and I want to see a bunch of citizen legislatures stepping up. And Dan has uh, put out the first salvo. He's written a letter, and we're waiting for the response. And if the response ain't good enough, I want to see zero funding to the respective agencies. Let's do, let's person up. Is that the politically correct way of saying it now, Dave? Let's person up and get it on.
0: Yeah, you can't say cowboy because that's that's kind of sexist. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you should cowboy up or cowgirl up, whichever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I I wholeheartedly agree. With you. Speaking of New York, let me just digress for a moment. As Mayor uh, de blah 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 Blasio has said that they're not going to open schools, but for those over hundred thousand people that need child care, they're going to figure out a way to uh, give child care to all of those children that are going to be home doing their schoolwork uh, by computer. I want everybody to think about that. Supposedly, you don't open the schools because you don't want to uh, spread the virus, but you'll have child care available so that the kids can all get together and spread the virus. Think about that for just a moment.
3: Out. Wow. You see, Dave, here's your challenge You're trying to apply logic To a clown <laughs> Bill de Blasio yeah. is a clown
0: Yeah, check uh, his shoes, he, check his shoes
3: yeah, His shoes are clearly Size 18 to begin with He literally is wearing clown shoes So uh, um, the only thing He doesn't have is, is the red nose uh, And so when he comes out With statements like this It doesn't surprise me at all The man, the man is clueless
0: yeah, he really is. There's, 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 there's no K, uh, There's no doubt about that. How long? How much longer do the people of New York have to be kept uh, in prison by this guy?
3: I think, uh, years, but I'm not sure.
0: Okay, does he got a couple yeah. more years? What I a think bum- so. What a bummer! All right, and I yeah. and I used to think Bloomberg was the worst. With his, uh, you can't have, you can't buy yourself a twenty ounce soda, but you can buy two twelve ounces. I mean, oh, come on, what an idiot! <laughs>
3: oh, I remember that. I
1: remember that. It's
3: a very I important mean, point because the soda issue demonstrates. I agree, we should not be drinking forty ounces of sugared soda. It's not healthy. But should we be mandating it? All along, we said we should not be mandating that. It's a bad idea. Smoking is a bad idea, by the way, Dave. I don't think people should be smoking. But we don't have a law preventing it. Again... I think that there is a real public health issue regarding COVID. I am more extreme than many when I think people should not be walking around spreading this disease. I don't necessarily oppose the notion that we need to require in some fashion and in certain contexts masks. But it needs to be done through the proper means so that we maintain a democratic government. And that's what I'm concerned about.
0: Well, here's the key. I thought that this was coming when I saw Walmart come out and say, masks are going to be required when you come to Walmart, and I thought to myself, well, then I'll just go to Kroger, and then that afternoon, Kroger, Sam's, everybody else said, you have to wear a mask to come in our facilities. Now, with that said, they have the right to do that, privately owned businesses, but I had the feeling that the governor was, uh, was working with business on this and getting everybody lined up, and, I was correct. All right. We got to take a break. Let's do that, and we'll finish it up for this Friday. Uh, Robert Steinbach is with us. He's a uh, law professor over at Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone, not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or the university, as well as Chris Corbett is with us. He is an attorney of law in Conway. Uh, specifically, his specialty is engineering law, but... He covers a lot of stuff, especially freedom. We got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Man, we are just down to one final segment and not a whole lot of time to talk. Uh, I did want to talk uh, about hate crime legislation because the governor made a statement last week that uh, worries me a little bit when it, it came out that uh, State Senator uh, Hindrin had been had been uh, forging out some uh, hate crime legislation, and I wonder sometimes behind the scenes what other legislation is being forged out. And and there's nothing wrong with that, except if you're doing it and you're not letting anybody know that you're doing it. It, it, By that I mean a, a good majority, I believe, of Arkansans, do not want to see hate crime legislation here in the state. They understand the fallacy of it and that all it does is cause problems. That's, that's what hate crime legislation does. It causes problems. But the governor knows that Arkansas is one of only four states. And uh, how dare us be one of only four states that doesn't have a hate crime uh, you know, legislation passed surely we've got to do it we know that that's a good thing to do well i don't think so and they're trying to get this through and the governor said that yeah it's we're working on it because you got to do the foundational stuff before you get to the general session so i'm concerned about this guys uh let me start it off with robert what do you think robert
3: Well, I don't think, frankly, it's a problem if um, Senator Hendren wants to draft legislation before the session that he's going to introduce later, even if I disagree with the underlying legislation. He can work on legislation, consult with groups. That's what the legislators do in the off period. So I'm not sure I I have an issue with the process, uh, if he has undertaken that process. Now, the substance of the hate crimes laws in general are more difficult. Uh, For one, we do consider motive often in crimes. Uh, However, hate crimes does veer a lot more closely to uh, the notion of speech infringement. That is, someone says something that is offensive, absolutely. And then somehow that affects the underlying crime, which, as you say, is already an underlying crime. It's that tension that has caused conservatives in general to at least resist hate crimes legislation because they see it as part of a broader movement to restrict our ability to speak even when that speech may be highly offensive and clearly downright morally wrong. But the point is that even though in one instance you and I might agree that the speech was morally wrong and highly offensive, what about the other speech that the leftist says is morally wrong and highly offensive, uh, but we know it as conservative ideology or religious ideology? And that's the problem. And so it's that intersection of those concerns that give rise to this uh, um, uneasiness when it comes to hate crimes legislation. And it seems that the under, given that the underlying crimes are already, that is, crimes, that the, the urge to move ahead on hate crimes legislation uh, should be checked so that we can more carefully examine the negative consequences uh, relating to speech.
0: All right, Chris, your thoughts,
5: man, when you brought it up, um, I immediately thought about one of the only four states that doesn't have a hate crime law We're one of the only states that doesn't have a stand stand your ground law. Where is the governor on Republican, the Republican platform? Um, I think um, to hone in specifically on the hate crime law, uh, Rob's entirely correct. It to me is a violation of free speech. Um, if you are required to give up a freedom in, in return for something, um, I don't think that that's gonna. It's not going to work out well. It's arbitra- it can be arbitrarily enforced. Um, if you can say that a a crime in and of itself is you're more culpable because of something you said, uh, it gets into some it gets into some and uh, some unstable foundations. To use a, some engineering analogy, you're, you're standing on some sand. Um, when you move into um, uh, some sort of, you thought you thought the wrong thing. Therefore, you're more culpable. Um, I'd have to give it some more thought within the within the bounds of a hate crime. But um, perhaps my initial guess, my initial take is perhaps. Um, we have a crime, and maybe you you can be sentenced more harshly because you because it's proven that you did it because of a racial bias or something like that. Maybe that, if you've got, you got videos out there, um, it happens all the time, there's videos out there. You have a, a swastika tattooed on your neck. This guy's more culpable because he's uh, shown that his speech is hateful. That's that's where it goes. That's where it gets sketchy to me because of what maybe you think um, then you should be more culpable in and, um, and a crime committed. You, you committed a crime. Let, let's, just, let's just look at the facts that you may or may not have committed a crime, of what you, or regardless of what you said. So that's my take on it, Dave.
0: Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's, and a lot of people don't like to hear me say the slippery slope, but I just think it's a slippery slope. If you can do this, uh, we can get into thought crime. We can get into a minority report, the movie uh, where something or, or somebody makes the decision that a crime uh, was going and is going to be committed and uh, and, and jump on somebody 's case uh, before they even do something wrong it just and I understand people 's concerns about the difference between preventing crime and solving a crime because police solve crimes. Uh, very seldom do they get to prevent a crime they 're usually there to draw chalk uh, chalk outlines at times. but the bottom line is you 're not guilty of something until you do something right i mean and and, and that That's worries right me we we 're we 're working our way down. Uh, this thing of, uh, you know, using uh, computer applications with AI, and they they look at it, and they go, well, look, uh, he thought this, and that this, and that that. And if you look at the, the, we use our algorithm here, and we see that if a person does this and that, and, and this over here, that the percentage of them comp- uh, comp- uh, doing a crime is 87%. Well, that's enough to intervene here. That worries me. Does that worry you guys? Where do you think that, about it. Yeah, you guys I see think that way. I see where you're going with that? So what you're
5: saying is, if I have a, if I have an offensive website out there and I'm spouting off offensive stuff, then I'm more predisposed to committing a crime. That's correct. Based on my statements, I, I see where you're going with this, and and That's... because of my my statements, therefore I maybe I need to be arrested before I can do anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that, it is. Well, that's that's, that's Philip. Hey, that's Philip Dick talking about pre-crime. That's exactly what that is. And it's scary. Whoa. It's well, scary. As you
3: know, Dave, that the left has literally equated speech with action. And they say, well, you see, that's a, that's a hate speech. And therefore, it's not protected by the First Amendment. Correct. And so you can see this sort of logical progression from, well, hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment, and then we enact hate crime legislation.
0: That's the challenge. Yeah. We're out of time, guys. Robert, thank you. Chris, thank you. We'll leave people to contemplate that pre-crime over the weekend here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thanks so much, guys. I'll see you again next Friday here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'll join you 6 a.m. on Monday. Power panel will convene.